Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. All right, I've got a number of geopolitical things here, a great deal of education stories as well, some jab-related stuff, including some WHO revisions and a peer-reviewed science article involving a Japanese teenage girl and the jabs. As you might expect, it didn't go very well, but it's hot off the presses and is set to be published in July of this year. Lots of other stuff as well. But first, here's what I want to get to. I have a listener of the show by the name of Tony Sousa, who has 30 years at Costco and is now officially retired. And I wanted to give a shout out to Tony and say thank you for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. Rumor has it that uh, you bother everybody you can with telling them about the show and all of the facts that you're learning here and a number of other things that I'm sharing, and I love it. I absolutely love it. And again, thank you very much for listening to the show. Make sure and keep bothering people about the show. That would, uh, that would be awesome. Keep, keep dropping the truth bombs as much as you can and, and share it wherever you can. But again, thank you very much for listening. And wow, 30 years again. It's an amazing accomplishment, man. So congratulations. Kick your feet up, relax a little bit. But hey, we need you in the fight. So stay in the fight any way you can. All right. I'll tell you what. I want to get to this too. Well, frankly, Tony and anybody listening, you know, ask yourself this question real quick, and I want to sort of revisit a few things from the last episode, but this kind of hit me, and I was thinking to myself the other day as to whether or not Donald Trump has made any kind of a truth post or even a public comment about Nashville. Whether or not it happened or not, of course, he wouldn't make a comment about that necessarily, but even just haphazardly commenting on it or saying, you know, what a tragedy or, oh, you know, that's, that's so sad. You know, I, I mean, you would think that, again, with the explosion and the exposure that the media gave it, of course, all of it being fake, but at the exact same time, you would think that there would be a truth post out there. And again, I follow him on truth, but I haven't read all of his posts. So normally, again, you would think that the media would, would show his truth posts and say, oh, you know, the former president has commented on Nashville. I don't recall any of that happening. So you know, I don't know. I think it's very telling. I think it's very telling that if he's not commenting on it, he certainly knows it didn't happen. He knows what these people are capable of. He knows that they're capable of of manufacturing these particular events for the purpose of taking guns and sending people into a, a state of panic and certainly increasing the police state, which is something I'm going to get into uh, a little more specifically when I talk about education because AJ Gochik sent me something that's just absolutely horrifying from a San Francisco school and what they're doing regarding these lockdowns and these uh, these policies and procedures in order to either enter the building or leave a school building. It's beyond bizarre. But I wanted to ask that question about Nashville and whether or not Donald Trump has actually made a public comment about it because I haven't heard any. Uh, let's see. I got a ton of show notes here, so bear with me as I'm kind of trying to rock through these. I want to mention this too, again, and it, I think it fits perfectly regarding the last episode and the comments that I was making regarding the tranny agenda and sports and you know how, how we have to ostracize these individuals within these particular levels of participation. 
Sicily, New Mexico sent me this Martin Geddes post. And a while back, I certainly quoted Martin Geddes with regularity on this show, certainly at the very beginning of this show, back in October of 2020. He, he was very ahead of the curve. Uh, he, he's totally on board with what's going on in the world. And I mean, he, he analyzes a lot of really great information. In fact, I had the opportunity to email him back and forth for a little while. And we were talking a little bit and, uh, he was even kind enough to tweet out my storm books and suggest that people take a look at those, which by the way, they're all free and available on my website, but, um, he's a solid guy. And anyway, I wanted to read this post because, I, again, I think that it fits perfectly with what's going on right now, certainly within some of the topics that I brought up in the last, last episode. But he said the following. He said, quote, I watch many who desire a linear narrative. Quote, we press the master button and good guys take over, unquote. It's not that kind of war. You have to get the enemy to consistently overreach themselves, exposing their methods and intentions, and using their own energy to defeat them. Wars of information plus infiltration are fought via paradox before pew-pew, unquote. That's a huge kinetic aspect, no doubt, like DUMB and tunnel destruction, the deep underground military bases. But the key is to get the enemy off balance by subverting their own systems and processes so they go outside their quote-unquote predictable region of operation. The enemy depends on being covert and even treated as a friend. The moment they are seen as the enemy, their ability to co-opt people and resources from the population declines. You win by making things go to shit, quote-unquote, faster than the mind can adapt. The surface optics are the opposite of the underlying reality. I think he meant to say underlying. It says underly or underlay, whatever. Either way, I completely agree. This right here is exactly what I was saying in the last episode, in, in my personal opinion. When you... When you create a scenario that is uncomfortable for the individual who is already in a very uncomfortable scenario, I mean, let's face it, the Will Thomas guy who swims for, for University of Pennsylvania, there's no way that he's undressing in front of females, competing against females, and actually believes that what he's doing is right. He knows deep down that it's not. He knows deep down that it's unfair. Because they would never let a girl do it against men because they'd say, look, you're going to lose every single time or most times, and we can't, we can't do this. But this agenda has flipped everything on its side, and completely upside down rather, which means that the only response that people should have should be one that causes them to basically, like I said in the last episode, be on an island all by themselves. And then that entire reaction would cause everybody supporting that person, which, let's face it, is all of the organizations, the administrations, the NCAA, the school boards, the universities, et cetera, et cetera. All of them would be just thrust into the limelight, essentially, but in a very negative way. They would be creating a public relations nightmare that they couldn't possibly manage. I mean, they just couldn't. They would be put between a rock and a hard place. Do they get rid of all of their sports programs because nobody's participating except for the lone tranny? Do they do that? 
Or do they kick the tranny off and say, look, our programs are more important than just one person. We can't do this anymore. Nobody's participating anymore because you are here. We can't actually have you competing against other individuals on the same team in practices, and we can't have you competing certainly at the state or national level anymore. So Martin is right. You have to take the enemy, and they are everywhere, and you have to throw scenarios at them that they cannot manage. The one that they cannot manage is you walking away. Because when you walk away from these institutions, they run out of money immediately. All their credibility goes straight to hell. All of it. It's right out the window. This right here is the kind of warfare that he's describing. This is the kind of warfare that I've been describing. Lots of people have been describing this. Mass noncompliance. It's not just a slogan. It has to be a way of life. It has to consistently be a strategy that we use against them simply for the reason that they have no idea how to manage it. They have no idea. You know, if it's a tennis match, you're talking about not only bashing the ball back on their side of the their side of the net, but they don't know how to hit the ball back. And then they're just bouncing it around on the ground, and then more people come out on their side of the court to bounce the ball around even more. And then they're hitting it just among themselves on their side of the court while we are standing on the other side of the net laughing and smiling and saying, we dare you to hit it back. Watch what happens, because we'll just keep walking off of the court. Every single time that you think you've got the ball ready to hit back to us, we'll just walk further away. They won't know how to manage that, and that's really how we win. It really is. In fact, ask yourself this question too, and this again, is, I, I think, personally is part of the problem. The Matt Walshes of the world, the Daily Wires, the Tim Pools, the, even the Steven Crowders and all these other people, are they saying the kinds of things, in particular, just for this particular discussion, are they saying the kinds of things that you're hearing me say regarding this issue and how this is the solution to this issue? Are they bringing up the actual solution? Again, I, I don't listen to these people, so I, I don't know. Someone's going to have to tell me who pays attention to those individuals, but are they just haphazardly commenting on the flavor of the month or the flavor of the week or the flavor of the day? And they're not actually providing their listeners or their followers, subscribers, whatever it is. Are they providing them an actual solution? Because I like to think that I'm providing the actual solution to this problem. You put those people on an island, those trannies and, and whoever they are, these deranged people. You put them on an island by themselves. They have nowhere to go. And, of course, like I said... Put all the administrators and all their supporters on the same island and watch them all panic. Walk away. Again, all those interviews that Riley Gaines has given, did anybody look at Riley Gaines and say, why didn't you just walk away? I'm not saying, you know, cut your bathing suit off in front of a giant crowd and walk away naked. I'm just saying, like, walk away from the swimming pool. Go back into the locker room, change your clothes, walk out of the building, and go home. But Sean, she'll lose a scholarship. Again, I, I know all the arguments. She won't lose a scholarship because where in the contract that she probably signed for her academic or rather 
athletic scholarship does it say that she has to compete against boys, against men? I bet it's not in there, which then begs the question, I hope that these colleges and universities and even K-12 schools are putting that in the paperwork because if they're not, and people are signing on the dotted line under the belief that they're just going to be competing against their own sex, well, it seems like that's a breach of contract. It seems like that's the breach of some kind of a legal agreement where a person's signature is on a piece of paper under the belief that one thing is going to happen when in fact something else is happening. Again, my my major problem with the individuals who host someone like Riley Gaines, who was very unfortunately, of course, put in a situation like that, and I fully recognize that. But for the Tim Pools or the Matt Walshes or anybody making comments about it, how about you just provide the actual solution? How about you think about what the solution might actually be, certainly from an administrative standpoint, and and what panic and and chaos that would cause within the administration itself if people just walked away, and walked away permanently. I'm sure there's a variety of reasons as to why they don't bring up the solution. It could be that they're not smart enough to figure it out. It could be that they've never really been in the education business. We know that they haven't, and they just haphazardly talk about it. But apparently they know nothing about how administrators actually operate within these institutions. And they don't understand that when you throw a wrench into their plans, regardless of how degenerate they are, they panic like nobody's business. They circle the wagons and they do whatever they can to protect one another. Meanwhile, the person who's holding all of the chips and the person who's in complete control is the biological male or biological female who knows that what they are doing is right because they don't have to participate or compete against somebody who's playing pretend. That's the solution. But I'm afraid that those people in those shows, like, again, Tim Poole and these other weirdos, that they just don't bring up the solution because that ends the entire discussion. I mean, I'm talking about this again and and reiterating the actual solution. So, again, my, my question is, is, are they actually bringing up this particular solution? Because from where I'm standing, this is the only solution. We can keep talking about it haphazardly, like Riley Gaines is, and oh, you know, what an abomination, and I was treated unfairly, and blah, blah, blah. Again, a tranny cannot participate by themselves. They can't. You can't have an NCAA swimming championship if everybody just leaves. But Sean, they work so hard. They work so hard to get there, and it's, the, it's their whole life, and blah, blah, blah. No, it's not their whole life. It isn't, and that's a poor excuse. If they all walked away, that's what everybody would be talking about. And yes, there would be people who would say, well, they all walked away because they were discriminating against a tranny. Stop it. Who cares? They're not just going to give the first place trophy to Billy Thomas because he's pretending to be a girl. He didn't swim against anybody. So they can't logically give anybody like that, give him or anybody else who's playing pretend a first place trophy because they didn't compete against anyone. You see how everything just folds? It immediately takes the entire thing and just flips it over. 
and I, I don't know, it spilled milk everywhere and everybody panics and starts wiping it up. But the person who spilled it just stands up and walks away with a smile on their face. That's the solution. I think anything other than that is just people haphazardly talking about it. And anybody who's not providing a solution like the one that I just provided is wasting their time. So, yeah, Martin Geddes is right. You have to you have to fight them in a way that makes them uncomfortable because they get off on making people uncomfortable. Well, if we if we play their game and we tolerate their insanity, like I said in the last episode, you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. So we have to we have to put them in psychological and social situations, and by them I mean everybody who supports it and all these degenerate ideas and ideals and ideologies. Put them in a situation that causes them to panic because they can't handle it. They can't. Their businesses, their organizations will completely crumble. That's how this gets fixed. And in my opinion, humbly, it doesn't get fixed any other way. A lack of participation is the only thing that fixes it. Okay. That's that. No more tranny talk for a while. I'm exhausted. I hate talking about it. It's because the solution to me is so simple. But there's that. All right. A couple other geopolitical things here before I get into some education stuff. Uh, Let's see. About 20, 30 minutes away from where I live, it made the national news. Richmond, Indiana, a giant plastics factory that apparently recycles plastic, was on fire the other day. And my dad was even telling me about the giant, uh, the giant smoke cloud in the sky that you could see from quite a distance, you know, because Earth is flat and you can see things in a straight line for miles, which of course disproves the curve. Either way, there's that, and uh, and that's not an accident. Getting all of that smoke in the air from burning plastics is certainly not an accident. There was another one in Texas. Eighteen thousand cows died along with a couple of human beings. Uh, not an accident. They're trying to poison us and, of course, destroy the food supply. So there goes that. Here was another little follow-up thing, too, which I thought was bizarre. Uh, allegedly, the bank worker who worked in the Louisville Bank, who was allegedly killed by police officers, apparently the AR-style rifle the AR rifle, not style, it's just an AR rifle, that was used apparently by the banker is going to be auctioned off. Now, think about that one. And apparently, again, they're saying that it's Kentucky law that allows a gun even used in a crime to be auctioned off. The moment I heard of that was the very second that I thought to myself, I wouldn't buy that gun at all. Because the feds are going to be tracking who buys that gun, how much they paid for it, where that person lives, what are their motives behind uh, buying that gun. Are they going to start, again, once they get this person's name, address, and personal information, are they going to start scouring the internet for this individual and see what internet presence this individual has? I would stay as far away from that gun as humanly possible. Go buy your own gun. I don't know why a person would want to buy a gun that's been in the hands of feds that's allegedly been used in, a, in an alleged crime. It just, it just doesn't seem like the gun to purchase, does it? 
I don't get it. But apparently there's some Kentucky law that basically says they can't destroy the gun, so they auction it off. I, I find it shocking that it wouldn't just be in an evidence locker someplace and they wouldn't just keep it there. But I don't know. They didn't ask me. That's just my two cents. There was also this quick little audio I want to play. For all of my Canadian friends up there, perhaps you can provide a little two cents as to what you think this is about, but uh, quite an interesting revelation. Give this a listen in three, two, one. This just in, the Pierre Elliott Trudeau Foundation's executive board has announced that they are all resigning. This comes amid controversy over a donation made by a Beijing-linked donor. The foundation's board of directors, president and CEO, have all resigned. In a statement, the foundation said the political climate surrounding the donation received back in 2016 has put pressure on management and staff. The foundation was given $200,000 by a political advisor to the Chinese government. The Globe and Mail has alleged the donation was linked to the Chinese government's plot to influence Justin Trudeau after he became liberal leader. It just doesn't seem like that would be something that would cause a CEO and an entire board to just walk away in the blink of an eye all at the same time because of a political donation from someone in China. I mean, they were doing this probably with regularity. It happens all of the time. It, it doesn't seem like that's the real reason. My spidey senses are tingling, and I just don't think that, uh, I don't think that's it. Again, if CTV is saying it, it's probably not real. But there's got to be another reason, and I'm leaning toward pedophilia. Because again, I believe the logo for the Pierre Trudeau Foundation is the pedophile triangle, the boy lover symbol or kid lover symbol, whatever the hell it is. It just seems fishy. Again, a political donation here in the States that seems suspect wouldn't stop any politician. It certainly wouldn't stop a CEO of a company, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't keep a, uh, well, it wouldn't panic any, any kind of a board of a foundation or organization in the slightest. They would just deny it and then go about their business. But for all of them to leave all at once, yeah, we need to track the resignations as it was clearly stated in the, uh, in the Q posts at great length. And that is beyond suspicious, I think. So, boom, bam. There you go. Could Canada be on the track to survival? I sure hope so. Okay. Here's the next one, and AJ sent me this. This is an interesting one, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just going to read his text thread very quickly. He knows I do that, and I'm grateful for this input, and this is beyond strange. So, first of all, this has to do with, apparently, a quote-unquote food company, although that's not really what it is. So, let's see here. He said the following. He said, Sean, this was forwarded to me from a friend who found the message on Telegram, not sure if you know anything about appeal, A-P-E-E-L, and I don't. So I continue to read and learn about this, and it is bizarre. It says the following, quote, Don't eat anything with appeal. Sticker on it. This apparently was from Telegram via AJ, so here we go. Yeah, don't eat anything with the appeal sticker on it, A-P-E-E-L. It just appeared in our grocery stores, saw it for the first time today. 
The cucumbers are not wrapped in plastic, but there's a big sign that says coated in appeal to protect freshness and reduce plastic waste. The cucumbers ha also have a sticker on them with the word appeal. I checked the company out. It's funded by Bill Gates and others, and the WEF endorses it. And I checked their website out. You can find any info about what exactly is appeal. Look at the frequently asked questions. They even tell you they are, quote, don't buy it if you're worried. It says, in Canada, so far it's just on cucumbers and maybe apples. In the United States, it's avocados, apples, and I think limes and lemons maybe, cucumbers too. The company is very mysterious about what the product actually is, and it can't be washed off, no matter how much scrubbing. It even says this on their website in the FAQ. Supposedly, it can make produce last up to three times longer. Also, suddenly, the price of cucumbers dropped today to just over $3 for three cucumbers in a pack of $1.27 a cucumber. They really want people to buy these cucumbers, unquote. He then said, safety data sheet says, appeal, A-P-E-E-L, hazard statement, H318, causes serious eye damage, and H317 may cause an allergic skin reaction. Uh, H412, harmful to aquatic life with long-lasting effects. Precautionary statement, P280, wear protective gloves, protective clothing, eye protection, and face protection. <laughs> Good God. P302 plus P352 if on skin. Wash with plenty of water. And then he sent me the document, which I will link in the description below. This is a lengthy PDF. Uh, let's see. Not, well, it's nine pages of basically just hazard warnings. So there you go. Safety data sheet for appeal. Doesn't sound good at all. It just does not sound good. So we're way past reading labels, I think, at this point. Now we have to look at actual companies. Go home. Write them all down, of course. Go home. Start looking them up. It's going to turn uh, grocery shopping into a research project, isn't it? Yikes. It's not, it's not getting better. It's certainly not getting better. Uh, farmers markets, I think, is basically the only way that we should be going these days. Probably the only way we should have been going from the start. But certainly now. Okay. Education-related stuff. Great deal here. Let me get to it. This is from the vtdigger.org. And it's titled, Student from Vermont Arrested in Minnesota for Allegedly Planning to Attack a School. 20-year-old student from Middlesex is facing charges related to an alleged school threat at his college in Minnesota. Prosecutors allege that Wayland Kurtz was planning to carry out a mass casualty event at St. Olaf College in Northfield, Minnesota. He was charged Monday in Rice County District Court in Minnesota with conspiracy to commit assault with a dangerous weapon, conspiracy to commit threats of violence, terroristic threats, and conspiracy to commit theft, court documents show. It's rather interesting what they found uh, in this guy's dorm room. 
Let me see here. It says this. It says, Assistant Rice County Attorney Catherine Burbank wrote in court documents filed Tuesday that Curtis's mother was planning to meet the $100,000 bail conditions and bring Kurtz, who is being held at the Rice County Jail, back to Vermont. Burbank asked the judge to set conditions of release that would require all firearms in Kurtz's Middlesex home to be surrendered to a Vermont law enforcement agency. It was not clear Tuesday afternoon whether the judge had yet considered that request. Skipping down a little ways, it says this. It says, uh, let's see, St. Olaf Campus Police then searched Curtis's room and discovered body armor, empty boxes of ammunition, fireworks, knives, a lockpick set, and propane canisters, court documents show. Police also examined a notebook that included a hand-drawn map of the recreation facility on campus a plan to steal ammunition from a Walmart, and instructions on how to create a shoot house, quote-unquote, which is the term used for an indoor firing range typically used in military and law enforcement training. See, some of this might be suspicious, but some of it is not. Some of it's rather common, and who knows, maybe the guy just likes looking stuff up and enjoys target shooting, which apparently his uh, defense lawyer says. He says he does a lot of trap shooting with his family in Vermont. He said, quote, what he did here is he saw some magazines that would be cheaper here to buy for going home where he shoots, his his defense lawyer said. He said he's never shot here in Minnesota, and he doesn't have any guns here. He doesn't have any ammunition. His defense lawyer also said this. He said, I don't think you have a potential school shooter that was going to shoot that was going in and shoot somebody, shoot a bunch of students. There's there's no evidence of animosity among any of the students, he said. He was a graduate of a high school and blah, 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 joined the track team at St. Olaf College. He's in his second year. Uh, Okay, I'm going to end it there. Here's what's interesting about this. This, frankly, is just the slippery slope that does exist even when a random person turns in someone else that maybe they don't know. And again, maybe there were motives here that were not good, but maybe there weren't. The problem is a bureaucratic one. When you get civilians with the old see something, say something quote, which let's face it, some of that is really, I would say, uh, the amplification of a security state borderline Bolshevism. But at the same time, it it serves its purpose. Here's the only problem. When law enforcement gets a hold of something like this, what is the likelihood that law enforcement is going to drop it and say, you know what, we made a mistake, We're, we're glad we looked into it, but there's nothing here, not a violent person. They didn't actually make any threats. They were just a law-abiding citizen that happened to be interested in firearms. Um, Owning body armor isn't a crime. The particular things he was doing weren't a crime. There's nothing suspicious here and blah, blah, blah. I just don't understand why they would scoop him up and immediately start charging him with making terroristic threats and a thousand other things. I don't know. I just think this is the slippery slope because you know for a fact that people are getting scooped up in that and scooped up in that bureaucratic process, and they may never end up escaping it. Again, in the public eye, they're going to be viewed by the naive very quickly as being guilty of something when, in fact, maybe they're not. That's going to be a tough thing to overcome. 
and again, you got a mugshot of the guy and looks like a rather normal kid. I mean, who's to really know? But I don't know. I just think it's very bizarre. And uh, if you're a gun owner, you have to tread lightly these days because the whack jobs are out there and some of those whack jobs are in law enforcement and they want your guns and they want they want to paint you in any light that they can that makes them the protector. That's a dangerous set of affairs there. So, yeah. But I find it interesting, again, that you have a manufactured shooting like uh, like Nashville, and then all of the sudden, you end up getting a lot of arrests associated with people owning guns all of the sudden, in particular, school-age students or college students, and then that just sends everybody into a panic. It essentially just turns into this giant kite that starts flying through the air that you just can never retrieve. You can never get it back. It just keeps flying through the sky and, and you lose control of it. And then everybody starts looking at it and commenting on it, even when maybe there's really nothing there to even pay attention to. But I don't know. The old see something, say something thing, it's a slippery slope. I really think that it is. I'm not saying that it hasn't been effective in numerous situations. I'm sure that it has. But there also have to be other situations, of course, where it's it's gone poorly for very innocent human beings who, again, are not bad people and have no ill intent. But once law enforcement grabs a hold of it, it's pretty much game over for them, at least in the court of public opinion. Which leads me to this next story, and I'll tell you something. I've, I find myself defending these individuals. I really do. This is a particular teacher who was, who was terminated for engaging in a lesson regarding a, uh, an active shooter drill, so to speak, but he's a psychology teacher, and he decided to also have his students basically write an obituary as if to say, here's what I've done up throughout the course of my life thus far. If I could go back and do things differently, here's what I would have done. Here are some things in my life I would have changed, et cetera, et cetera. And you'll hear the news outlet on this, but again, I don't trust the school system. I'm not saying it was a great decision that this person made necessarily, but the school system's jacked up. So give this a listen. The action to terminate your employment is... Psychology teacher Jeffrey Keene talks about being fired from Dr. Phillips High School. When they said you have an option to resign without violating your contract, I said, I didn't, I didn't do anything wrong. I said, if I did, tell me what it is. Oh, we can't do that. I said, well, in that case, since I don't know what I did wrong and you won't tell me, then you can go ahead and terminate me without cause. So you're pretty much guessing right now right. as to why. Yeah. Keene says there was going to be an active assailant drill in school and thought he could tie it into a psychology lesson. However, part of the lesson included having the students write their own obituary. If they were to die 24 hours from now, what would they do differently than they did yesterday? And that's to get rid of all the fluff and show them what's important in their world. It wasn't to say you're going to die and, and, and let's, let's just, you know, let's just stress you out. However, he says a student asked to talk to a counselor after getting upset. I put a disclaimer on the bottom of the, on the last one. I said this is in no way to upset you or anything else. That happened during first period. During his second period class, he says a supervisor came to observe. I said, who knows what they do if they're in the restroom where we have an active shooter? And no one knew. So I started to explain the correct process, and she shut me down on that. Keen says he was just trying to teach the students how to stay safe. I was stunned. I'm like, I'm talking to students about the world they live in, 
you know, about gun safety and about, you know, active shooters. An Orange County School District spokesperson released a statement saying Dr. Phillips High School families were informed that a teacher gave an inappropriate assignment about school violence. Administration immediately investigated and the probationary employee has been terminated. Do you regret doing the lesson? No. Would you do it again? Absolutely. And the district says they are not able to talk about details of this case. Meanwhile, Keene says he is appealing his termination. Reporting live outside Dr. Phillips High School, Valerie Boy, Fox 35 News. I got to tell you, I could take multiple angles on this, and I could probably discuss this at length and bring up numerous examples as to why this isn't that big of a deal, but at the exact same time, it's also not a great decision. First of all, Again, this stems from a psychology teacher believing things that probably aren't real. He probably believes that Nashville happened. He probably believes that Uvalde happened. And you have to keep in mind, he's working in a K-12 school system as a psychology teacher, which probably gives him a little bit of leeway on certain things that he can discuss. I would say he has a timing problem, although he would probably say, no, the timing was perfect. Because as you heard him say, they were going to have an active shooter drill, and there were students in the classroom who knew nothing about it and didn't know where to go and what to do and whatever else. Um, again, as I said, I could talk about this at length because there's so many places to start on something like this. The individual, again, it's all, well, I'll say this, it's always safest to just stay away from it. Just stay away from it. If you're a school teacher, regardless of the subject you teach, and something is happening in society that you think you have a grasp of when in reality you don't have a firm grasp of it, just stay away from it. Stay away from it. Again, he's unfortunately very confident in himself and he's very sure of himself that all of these school shootings are real and this is likely to happen and what should you do in a certain situation and whatever else. All he had to really do was just tell his students where to go if something like this happens. He didn't have to extend the obituary portion of this particular lesson into it, basically. With that said, again, the flip side of the coin is have, uh, having students write an obituary as a school teacher is not an uncommon assignment. I've known lots of school teachers to do that. I've never done it. It's, it's not something I would have ever done, but there are plenty of people who actually do that assignment and nothing happens to them. There's no complaint. There's no student getting upset. I mean, this guy even put a disclaimer in it that said, look, this isn't intended to make anybody upset. Now, that's funny that he wrote that in because that doesn't necessarily mean that somebody's not going to get upset. One particular student apparently got upset, went to a counselor, counselor blew it up, went to the administration. And you can see how slippery that slope is to where the administrator ends up inside of the classroom to watch the lesson for the next period and then makes the determination that they need to stop the particular activity. Again, this is why the business is impossible. It's impossible because it's loaded with lies. It's loaded with in inconsistency. It's loaded with discretion, which is a massive problem, where again, an assignment like this wouldn't cost somebody their job, but in other places, a person might be applauded for engaging in such a uh, in such a lesson or such an activity. 
it's it's beyond confusing, but that's the entire business. That's the education business in a nutshell. There's zero consistency, none. And this particular teacher apparently just started working in this district, uh, what did it say, January of this year. So that didn't take him very long. You know, I, I don't know. I, I think there might have been something else there. there. There may have been some other complaints that the district is just not telling people about. Uh, it's hard. It's really hard to know. But I think it's a useless activity, frankly. I understand, again, where the guy is coming from, but there's a thousand other things that he could be doing in a classroom. So, I don't know. Is it worth getting him fired over just for that one thing? I don't know. That's debatable, I guess. It's debatable. But speaking of uh, education being ridiculous, because it always is and will continue to be, Cicely sent me this, and I got to tell you, if you needed another reason to not be a school teacher in New Mexico, and I know she's smiling right now because she is no longer a school teacher in New Mexico, and she's homeschooling her children and thankful for it, this right here should prove to you that New Mexico is going straight to hell when it comes to their education system because they couldn't be more in dead last in the nation. I mean, it, it's, yeah, it, it, I think it's, a, well, I don't know. Maybe New Mexico could be further than dead last. Maybe it's possible. This comes from the Washington Examiner from their Restoring America website. And it says, New Mexico's proposed social studies standards would turn classrooms into laboratories of revolt. It says the following, quote, it's hard not to pity school children in New Mexico these days. The state already has one of the grimmest educational records in the United States, something that parents must consider when weighing relocation opportunities. New social studies standards in the state's school reveals this academic morass as now deliberate. It says the standards crafters are much more interested in churning out ultra-woke social warriors ready to act out their grievances. Yes, that's the business. It says things couldn't be that bad, you say. A typical sentence in the standards instructs teachers to have high schoolers, quote, assess how social policies and economic forces offer privilege or systemic inequity in assessing, or I'm sorry, in accessing social, political, and economic opportunity for identity groups in education, government, healthcare, industry, and law enforcement. Indeed, the standards approved last year mentioned diversity 65 times, the word identity 156 times in just 104 pages. We can't leave out the word equity, of course. That apparently appears 29 times. The word systemic appears 10 times. Nine as in systemic inequality. Oh, now they're combining them. And once in the standard version, systemic oppression. Power, quote unquote, a key term to an ideology that sees all of life in terms of power dynamics appears 43 times. Taken together, the standards aim to use social studies to indoctrinate children and turn them into citizens filled with grievances who identify not with America but with their given ethno-racial or sexual gender category, and who see the world only in terms of these categories, jockeying for power with one another. Delightful. It goes on and on and on, and there's no fixing it. There's just no fixing this. Again, mass non-compliance and a lack of participation. 
are going to be the only things that make this go away. We know ultimately, of course, that the Marxists, because this is, this is their point of view on everything, they want it to go away so that they can try to redesign it. But if you take the game away from the Marxists, the Marxist has nothing left. Because we know that the Marxist can't make anything from scratch based on truth and the truth. They can't do it. They have nothing but lies on their side. Which means if the entire, let's use the metaphor of a building, we know that they can't construct a building, but they're very good at urinating all over the walls and setting fire to things and basically burning the building to, to the ground. Once the building is burned to the ground metaphorically regarding education, we know that it's not going to be them that builds it back. It won't be. It will have to be the truth and the people who know the truth and understand the truth and nothing but the truth. Those are the people who are going to have to build back education, if it's to be built back at all. That doesn't mean that the Marxist isn't going to try to infiltrate particular programs and, and districts and universities and continue to change and do whatever. But there has to be a door that just shuts, shuts down right on top of them and kicks them out permanently to keep them away. New Mexico can't get any worse, I really don't think. I mean, again, they can try, but they can't get any worse with what they're doing because these are the very things that cause them to be in the situation that they're in now. Again, these people aren't learning. They're not learning that they're dead last because of their own wavelength of thought. They don't know that they're dead last because of their ideologies. They don't know that. They're not getting pay raises because of those very things. They don't know that they're losing positions and having positions taken away because of those very things. Now what they're doing, of course, at the state level is they're legislating this insanity because they think that this is the way forward. They're digging their own graves and they don't seem to care. And they certainly aren't going to admit it because these are not, these are not bright people. But New Mexico is not singular in that regard. It's happening all over the place. Which leads me to this now. This was sent to me by AJ, and he said the following before I read this particular document. He said, hey, Sean, here's a letter from the principal of San Francisco Public High School, Lowell High School, to parents regarding the school's new lockdown or closed campus, quote-unquote, protocols. This is a part social credit score slash obedience training slash and digital ID with QR codes that is spreading to many schools across the country. He said, notice the last point in the letter on how students can regain their freedoms, fewer tardies, better grades, behavior, and low truancy, etc. Let me read this for you because, again, it's odd, uh, and, and that's putting it mildly. Lowell High School in uh, in San Francisco, California. It says the following here, and this is dated April 6th. Greetings, Lowell staff, families, and students. I trust that spring break 2023 was refreshing for all of you. A couple of weeks ago, I sent this memo regarding our commitment to school safety being the number one priority for our students and staff. The Lowell administration would like to inform our community of the closed campus protocol, which will begin this Monday, April 10th, 2023. 
closed campus, quote-unquote, means the following. Number one, students and staff will not be permitted to enter or leave campus at any time, except if they have an early release note from the attendance officer or can show proof that they do not have a seventh period class without displaying some form of ID via card attached to a Lowell lanyard or student view, quote-unquote, in, in order for our security and administration to identify every individual on campus as a Lowell Cardinal. I would assume that the student view thing is the, uh, the QR code. Bizarre. Number two, students should bring their own nutritious food or snacks daily moving forward should they not desire to purchase from the Lowell cafeteria. How is that any different than any other day? Number three, parents, guardians, friends, or relatives will not be allowed to bring food, snacks, or send DoorDash, Uber Eats, other deliveries at any time as non-Lowell community members will not be permitted on campus during school hours from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m., except if there is a pre-approved appointment slash event by administration or a staff member and volunteer clearance through SFUSD. Security staff administration will not be responsible for delivering food to students at any time. I got a lot of questions with that. That's interesting. See, one of the things that I did when I was a school teacher, when I taught high school anyway, for about a year and a half, is I would dip out during my lunch break and just go purchase a pizza. It was like, I don't know, less than five minutes down the road. And, uh, and then I'd bring the pizza box back and, and I'd share it with students and we'd sit in my room and we'd eat pizza and that'd be it. But uh, apparently they're not allowing things like that anymore. You have to stay on campus and lock down all the time. The fourth point, which is the last one, it says campus will reopen on a tiered basis. Now, this is jacked up. Example, 95% attendance, passing all classes, less than 5% tardies, no disciplinary referrals. Once administration has verified 100% compliance of identification of students and staff daily. Now, you know, again, it's jacked up and confusing at the same time. Campus will reopen on a tiered basis. I don't, I don't understand what that means. That you're going to let the 95%, uh, you're basically going to let the students who attend 95% of the time to either come and go as they please, the people that are passing classes to come and go as they please, uh, that if they have less than 5% tardies or no discipline for referrals rather than they get to just come and go as they please. I mean, that's, that's extreme. This is a horrible social experiment. It wraps up here and it says, quote, Please note that FSUSD fully supports our plan to prioritize safety and security, and we are confident that this will be accomplished with your support and partnership. We are also pleased to partner with Stonestown, SFUSD, parents, students, staff, community-based organizations, and other commercial businesses within our perimeter to assist 
with an expedited return to reopening our campus in the near future. In community, Dr. Mike Jones, principal. If you end your letter or your memo with in community, well, you should be slapped just because. This is this is a weird one. This is weird. So they're coming back from spring break, but they're not going to let students back in anytime that they want or uh, w- whenever the student wants to come back, but they're going to let them come back in a tiered fashion beyond weird. But don't worry, ladies and gentlemen, school safety is their number one priority. It's safety. That's their number one concern always. They, they don't think for a minute that having any kind of a tiered basis for, for a comp, basically acquiring anything like, oh, I don't know, being able to walk through the front doors, like that's not going to cause division among students. And that division, by definition, creates conflict, both interpersonal and intrapersonal, and then potentially violence either, again, among one another as a student population or violence towards staff members. They haven't considered that at all. These people are not well. They are not well. More government control, ladies and gentlemen, that never makes anybody more violent. That never angers anyone. Listen to us, we're government. Your safety is our number one concern. Now take these jabs and stand in line. Oh, not so fast, Billy. You have been tardier longer than the student standing behind you, so they get to come first. Please. That's just going to piss off everybody. (laughs) That's going to drive everybody mad. The homeschooler is laughing. Laughing, laughing, laughing enjoying their free time because they have lots of it, learning how the actual world really works. And then they have to hear things like this, and they have to be thanking God and their parents that they homeschool because this is insane. I've got to read this too. I have to read this too. This is his memo that he was referencing in the last one. There's no date on this, but I assume it came, of course, before the last one. Uh, It says the following. And of course, he ends it with, in community, Dr. Mike Jones. It says, greetings, Lowell staff, family, and students. Lowell is committed to the safety and well-being of our students, and we strive to create a welcoming and safe community for all. The SFUSD Student and Family Handbook outlines the expectations for student behavior in school, and we also want to ensure we are teaching students to model appropriate behavior when out of school as well. Ah, government control, we're always there for you. I'm sending this letter as a reminder to our community of the expectations we have set for our entire school community. Community twice, ladies and gentlemen. It's double bonus prize there. Engaging in any form of violence or a threatening manner will not be tolerated. And there will be consequences for those who engage in such behavior, even when such instances occur outside of school. If your child would like extra support, please encourage them to speak with their teacher or another trusted adult at school. 
actively cultivating strong relationships at school between students and students and students and adults is fundamental to safety and it's something, wow, the hypocrisy here is amazing, that that is fundamental to safety, they say, and is something our school does very well, do you? Youth face a lot of challenges and need a range of trusted adults to support them. We are fortunate at Lowell to have so many staff members committed to supporting students, like dividing them on a tier basis based on grades, attendance, discipline, all kinds of things. You're not allowed in the building. If you've been here for only 94% of the time, as opposed to Sally, who's been here 95% of the time, Sally, right this way, you get to walk in first. This is nuts. Please do not hesitate to reach out to me if you have any questions or concerns in community. Dr. Mike Jones, principal. Mike Jones needs to get his head examined. He's not well either. I got to, you know, it's exhausting, isn't it? It's just exhausting. These people are crazy. These environments are crazy. They're crazy. School safety is our number one concern. You've heard me say that, that the hypocrisy knows no bounds when it comes to these people and saying that line over and over and over again. It won't matter if their entire campus ends up looking like Waco or Ruby Ridge. At the end of the day, they're still going to say, ladies and gentlemen, trust us, safety was our number one concern, emphasis on the word was. It still is, though, going forward, and safety is our number one concern. Yes, people were shot in the head and a tank drove right through the front door and blew people to pieces, but trust us, safety is our number one concern. Yes, we divide students by grade, and we, just, we divide them all sorts of ways, academically and uh, as far as sports are concerned, and clubs and cliques and groups and team names to make it easier for us to categorize students based on their mental acuity. But ladies and gentlemen, trust us, tier-based programs and division keep people safer, said no one with a brain. You have, I'm telling you what, I'm, I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag here. First of all, the next substack that I write is going to be about homeschooling. It's going to be loaded with homeschooling resources. It's going to be loaded with literature from the Charlotte Mason book. It's going to be loaded with all kinds of stuff. Please, again, move that substack around when I get around to writing it and, and, I, and I publish it on the American Classroom, but I am sick and tired of individuals just believing that all of this is okay and normal. There's nothing normal about any of this. Up is down, left is right. I'm telling you, it, it can't possibly survive. As you've heard me say, if it was a t-shirt shop, it would have folded and closed its doors by now. There's no way they would still exist. It almost doesn't matter, again, how well off the school is. All they're doing is funding their own insanity on a day-in, day-out basis, year-in, year-out basis. It's absolutely crazy. Ugh, it's exhausting. Okay, moving on here. Jab-related things. 
Not necessarily upbeat, but I do want to start with this. This, again, was hot off the presses, going to be published this July in Legal Medicine. This is another example of an article, again, that I'm adding to the ongoing list of peer-reviewed articles regarding the jabs, which I hope to do it this weekend, at least publish the first draft of a giant list of PDF uh, articles on the website and put it on the website under the medical documents section of americaneducationfm.com. That list will continuously grow and I'll continuously add to it. But um, I'm not I'm not necessarily breaking them apart by the year that they were published or even the title. You're just going to see the hyperlink website and then again you can click on it and or you can just highlight the entire thing and Send it to a bunch of people who have no idea what's going on. This one, again, it's going to be in the Legal Medicine Journal, or Journal of Legal Medicine. It is titled, A Case of Fatal Multi-Organ Inflammation Following COVID-19 Vaccination. Here's the abstract. A 14-year-old Japanese girl died unexpectedly two days after receiving the third dose of the BNT 1262B2 Pfizer mRNA COVID-19 vaccine. Autopsy findings showed congestive edema of the lungs, T-cell lymphatic and microphage infiltration in the lungs, pericardium and myocardium of the left atria and left ventricle, liver, kidneys, stomach, duodenum, bladder, and diaphragm. Since there was no preceding infection, allergy, or drug toxicity exposure, the patient was diagnosed with post-vaccination pneumonia, myopericarditis, hepatitis, nephritis, gastroenteritis, uh, cystitis, if I'm saying that right, and myositis. Wow, lots of inflammation, hence all the itises. Although neither type of inflammation is fatal by itself, arrhythmia is reported to be the most common cause of death in patients with atrial myopericarditis. In the persistent case, arrhythmia of atrial organ, I'm sorry, atrial origin, I can read, was assumed as the cause of cardiac failure and death. In sudden post vaccination deaths, aggressive Autopsy, systemic search, and histiological examination involving extensive sectioning of the heart, including the atrium, are indispensable. Okay. So basically what they're saying is, if they're jabbed and they die, check the heart. Start with the heart and then work your way out, because chances are, you're going to find inflammation, well, in this unfortunate 14-year-old Japanese girl situation, pretty much everywhere. Now, down in the discussion section, the very first paragraph, and there's three sections in the discussion section, but the first one is titled this. And this right here will again show you the inconsistency with all of this. The very first sentence is a complete and utter lie. Again, it is titled, Death After COVID-19 Vaccination. The first sentence says the following, quote, 
Vaccine development and its widespread application are key elements in the fight against COVID-19 pandemic. No. (laughs) No. Nope. None of that's true. There's no COVID-19, there's no pandemic, and vaccine development and its widespread application are not key elements in the fight against things that don't exist. The COVID-19 vaccine, it says, is now used worldwide and has contributed to the containment of the pandemic. No. Also wrong. It says, however, adverse events caused by vaccines have been a problem. A forensic examination for the evaluation of the association between vaccination and death was conducted in cases of post-vaccination deaths, and they have three references. The majority of these cases were negatively associated with vaccination. However, anaphylaxis, vaccine-induced immunothrombotic, thrombotic, uh, here's another thrombotic word, thrombocytopenia, if I'm saying that right, myocarditis and pericarditis have all been listed as having a suspected association with vaccination and vaccination-related death. Two more references. Murata and others also reported four cases of death after vaccination in which the only autopsy findings were organ congestion with no evidence of myocarditis. RNA analysis of the blood showed the neutrophil degranulation and cytokine signaling were upregulated in the control group, which led them to conclude that the deaths were due to cytokine storm, unquote, caused by the jabs. That's what caused it. That's the whole point. Again, in some of these articles, you know, it's disgusting, but they'll go, well, they died of a heart attack. Yes, they were jabbed, but they died of a heart attack. No, no, it was the jabs. Well, they were shot in the head a lot, and they died of blood loss and uh, cerebral malfunction. Well, they were shot in the head. (laughs) I mean, that's what did it. On that exact same wavelength, I might add, here's another one. Again, what caused it? This is from Health Impact News, title, Traffic Accidents and Deaths Soar in 2021 Following Rollout of COVID-19 Vaccines. Well, they were killed in a car accident, and they ran off the road and went face-first into a tree, and it was the... uh, Thoracic trauma from hitting the steering wheel along with the cerebral trauma that caused their death. Was it or was it because they were jabbed and they had a medical event behind the wheel and they may have already been dead before they even hit anything? I'm telling you what, it's getting out of control here. Uh, I'm just going to read a piece of this. It says, The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration recently released its annual study of crashes on U.S. roads for 2021 and found that the total number of accidents rose by an astonishing 16%. This was astonishing, quote-unquote, because there was the year of COVID lockdowns and travel restrictions when police groups nationwide reported that the smaller number of drivers on American roads were acting more recklessly than normal. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, 
less drivers on the road mean that more people die in traffic accidents? No. No. It says this, more Americans were killed by distracted drivers in 2021 than the year before. More Americans were killed by drunk drivers in 2021 than the year before. More drivers died with their seatbelts unfastened. More bicyclists were killed by drivers. More pedestrians. There's, there's just nothing but horrific news here. The National Traffic Highway Traffic Safety Administration recently released its annual study, and it takes more than a year to compile full statistics and check them for errors, so the latest report reflects car accidents in 2021, not 2022. That was a year of the COVID-19 lockdowns and restrictions were at an all-time high. It says that there were 42,939 people killed in motor, motor vehicle traffic crashes, on U.S. roadways during 2021, a 10% increase from 39,007 fatalities in 2020, the agency says. The total number of accidents rose by an astonishing 16%. Survivable injuries increased by 9.4%. Speeding, driving while drunk, and texting too much. How would they know those things? How would they know? that speeding was the cause if they were jabbed and had a medical event behind the, behind the wheel, how would they know that driving while drunk? Well, I mean, they might be able to find that out through a blood test, but the texting too. Well, they went off the road, so they must have been texting. That must be the explanation. This is just nuts. What happened, ladies and gentlemen, in 2021 that did not happen in 2022? Squirt, squirt. We know the answer to that. We know the answer. That leads me to this, to round things out. The WHO, I've brought them up with regularity. I'm going to bring them up yet once again. I mentioned again that they were creating revisions to their uh, pandemic treaty, as it were. And they were changing some of the language, making it a little more harsh, putting in some uh, fail-safes if they wanted to speed up the process, because again, they're allegedly discussing this further next month, where apparently or allegedly they're going to vote on something. And then, of course, they've used very, uh, I would say, tricky words in order to, in essence, say, if we want to implement this quicker than just May of next year, which is their target date, then they can implement it quicker if they choose to. So here's just a couple of things, again, that they've suggested regarding definitions. They say this, again, this is a, a multi-page document. It's, it's, almost, it's almost too long. But uh, it is titled, The Outline of EU Textual Proposes, uh, Proposals, rather, in the zero draft of the WHO Convention Agreement or other international instrument on pandemic prevention, preparedness, and response. The WHO CA+. I've read their vision before. It's not good. Uh, it says this. Chapter 1, Introduction. Article 1, Definitions and the Use of Terms. Genomic sequences and the word pandemic. 
were terms apparently that they used in the past, but now they're basically looking to change these words and or combine them. So here they have listed as their suggested definition of quote-unquote pandemic situation means a manifestation of a disease irrespective of origin or source. That's, that's kind of important. Irrespective of origin or source. Who made it? Where did it come from? What are the patent numbers on it? <laughs> this is all the stuff they don't want you to know. That is spreading or is likely to spread over a wide geographical area, often worldwide. That is affecting or is likely to affect a large number of persons and is creating or is likely to create a severe social disruption and economic loss. They also used the phrase in the past, pandemic-related products. Now they're suggesting that they call those countermeasures, which means medical and or countermeasures necessary for the purpose of preparedness for the response to pandemic situations, including, but not limited to, vaccines, therapeutics, diagnostics, medical devices, medical equipment, and supplies, such as personal protective equipment. Translation, lockdown camps. Lockdown camps. That's going to be one of their quote-unquote countermeasures. They also used in the past, this is hilarious, they have a giant list here, and I'll end with this. But they have this giant list, and it says, of what they used to say, persons in vulnerable situations, which included indigenous peoples, persons belonging to national or ethnic, religious, or linguistic minorities, refugees, migrants, asylum seekers, stateless persons, persons in humanitarian settings in fragile contexts, marginalized communities, Older people, persons with disabilities, persons with health conditions, pregnant women, infants, children, and adolescents, and those living in fragile areas such as small island developing states. Then they have a list of of phrases or buzzwords that they used to use, and uh, they've apparently decided to make a few revisions. So these are the ones they used to use. They used to use, quote, Pathogen with pandemic potential, one health approach, one health surveillance, none of that sounds good, infodemic, interpandemic, current health expenditure, universal health coverage, and recovery. Their additional proposals for definitions at this stage are. Quadraparite organizations, if I'm saying that right, refers to the WHO, the Food and Agricultural Organization of the UN, and the World Organization for Animal Health and the United Nations Environment Program. Globalism, ladies and gentlemen, one world government, globalism. Another suggestion they have for definition changes includes low income countries low-middle-income countries, upper-middle-income countries, higher-income countries. Yikes. And then One Health, quote-unquote, means an integrated, unifying approach that aims to sustainability, balance, and optimize the health of people, animals, and ecosystems. 
It recognizes the health of humans, domestic and wild animals, plants, and the wider environment, including ecosystems, are closely linked and interdependent. Unquote. These people are psychopaths. They're psychopaths. This entire document, again, is in black and blue. So all of the blue portions of this document are their suggested revisions, and there are many. This document is lengthy. Uh, Let's see, 40-some-odd pages? Let me get down to the bottom here. Heavens to Murgatroyd. It is 53 pages long. This is a scary one. I'm going to link this on my website under government documents on that long list, that long ongoing list. I will link the PDF and upload the PDF there. If you're interested in reading the entire thing, I highly recommend giving it a look. It is bizarre, and this is not good. So, Going to keep a close eye on the WHO stuff without a doubt. Have to have to keep paying attention to it. It's not a theory. It is a very real thing. And as you've heard me say, um, it's, it's not that our Constitution would necessarily be able to stand up against this. All you would need are private organizations in the United States going along with it. Now, you would think again that private organizations would have to follow the United States Constitution. But as we know, They all wiped their backsides with it the last time because, remember, if everybody's engaging in illegality, then it's not illegal anymore. That's their whole scheme. If we can get everybody on the same page, no matter who dies or what's killing them, then we're all going to be safe from any repercussions or consequences or whatever because, look, we're all trying to help people. Uh, mass non-compliance. Mass non-compliance. Make it a mantra. Say it over and over again. Do not trust government. Homeschool your children. <laughs> These need to be the bullhorns that exist in towns and in Menards and Lowe's and Home Depot and all these other places. Instead of make sure and stay you know, six feet away and wear your mask. It should be, don't trust government. Government lies to you. They want you dead. It should just say that over and over and over again. But keep fighting the enemy, ladies and gentlemen. we got to keep fighting them. Don't know how else to do it. Just keep bringing it to them. And definitely don't sweep stuff like this under the rug. Again, you've heard me say, the people that don't think that this is real or the people who downplay this or just laugh it off, I'm sorry. You'd better take, uh, you'd better take note of it. This matters. Too many people complied the last time around. When they pull this card again, and they will, let's see if those same people comply again. Let's see if those same people who scream freedom at the top of their lungs are still wearing masks on airplanes when airplanes, uh, you know, decide to do it again and make it mandatory yet again. Let's see if that even happens. Who knows? Maybe this is all part of Operation Warp Speed, and we've just sped up the enemy's plans as quickly as possible. It certainly seems like that's the case, doesn't it? It certainly seems like the enemy is having to move a whole lot faster than they wanted to. And if I was to end on a good note, I would say that's certainly a bright side in all of this. So with that said, ladies and gentlemen, one more time for Tony, 
congratulations on your retirement. Kick your feet up, buddy, and relax. But get back out on the battlefield, man. We need you out there. Uh, With that said, have a great weekend. Stay tuned for Monday's episode. It's going to be a doozy. I'm going to have a nice conversation and a rather interesting conversation with uh, an individual who, again, you've heard me talk about, went through a lot of weird government training regarding uh, emergency situations and pandemics and terrorist uh, plots and bioweapon attacks and all this other weird stuff. But um, apparently this kind of training is rather typical among a lot of EMT workers and firefighters and certain people get selected and certain people don't. But we'll sift through the weeds of all of that and he'll describe his entire experience with it. And I'm sure it'll be educational, so stick around for that on Monday. With that said, have a great weekend, and I'll catch you then. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care, and God bless.